What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. October 24th, 2016 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and just in a little bit of disclosure, I'm running today here on a little bit of sleep debt, actually a lot of sleep debt, some serious sleep debt. I'm a bit caught up. I went on this amazing trip, uh, but it cost me a lot of sleep. So I thank all of you who contributed to the Butter Coffee Fund. I'm relying on the caffeine a little bit more than usual here today. I'm hoping it's not going to show in the content of this show itself, but anyone who does want to help me out today and call in, I will appreciate it. The number is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. If you've been over to the blog at don'tletitgo.com, you can see that the title of today's show is Stolen Elections and Tinfoil Hats. When I was going through the news this morning, a little bit of social media feed and all that, it struck me that there was quite a bit of discussion about the election being stolen And, of course, there was a little bit of discussion of that in the third and final debate last week with Trump saying that he wasn't sure whether he was going to respect the outcome of the election, right? So this has been a thing. We are going to go through some of the stories today and ask the question, you know, what do we make of these charges? We're going to go through some of the evidence that's been presented that we should be concerned about this election being stolen. I've got a a number of other stories as well. So again, go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com. And, uh, you know, again, we've got our title, Stolen Elections and Tinfoil Hats, but I have a number of other things in store as well. We're just trying to get back up to speed on the news after coming back from a vacation and kind of being kind of blissfully unaware of that for for several days. Uh, Let's go over to the chat room at Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Um, Yeah, uh, Freedom Breeze is there. Kay Doolittle. Welcome, welcome. That's K. 
Ken and just Gene Herman. Someone who's calling himself John Galt, John Stewart, welcome, Dale Cobra, uh, Christopher, I see. Okay, a lot of people. Thank you for tuning in today. We're in, you know, we're in this final stretch coming up to the election, and no one is happy with the choices that were being presented, third party or otherwise. And so I think it's natural that people are wondering, you know, is this election going to be stolen? If so, what are we going to make of it? If you go to the top of Dredge today, they posted a link to an Investor's Business Daily story that says that as we're going to this final two-week stretch before the election, we have Trump and Clinton in a dead heat. We had thought, you know, that it was kind of obvious that Clinton was going to win, but in fact, no, Investor's Business Daily is telling us it is quite close, both of them at 41%. Uh, you know, what, what's, you know, with the other candidates, we've got Johnson significantly above 5%. That's respectable. You've got Stein a bit below 5%. We still have 5% who are not sure. I think I would put myself in the 5% who is actually not sure what I'm going to do on election day. Uh, there's also been some speculation uh, about objectivists out there. Some people are saying, well, well, uh, you know, maybe objectivists are going to do something that contradicts their philosophy on the day in the polling booth. And in the polling booth, of course, it's confidential. Nobody knows how you're actually going to vote. But, you know, objectivists, they don't want to be seen to be hypocrites uh, based on what they do in the polling booth on election day and and here's the issue none of these people are very good our country is in dire straits i'm going to give you a you know little taste of that in some of the news today about obamacare and you know what it is that people are actually going to do in that booth on election day i don't think it's going to contradict anyone's philosophy and actually i wouldn't even know regardless of where you are on the ideological spectrum I think you would find yourself in a bind. This is not something unique to objectivists, to people who follow the philosophy of Ayn Rand. I would say you're liberal, conservative, everybody else. There was one story I was going to actually share today at the program notes, and I didn't grab it. I really, I really should have. Some people have been talking about it. And it's that Susan Sarandon has been saying that Hillary Clinton is the bigger danger, and she is quite liberal. So, again, I don't care where you are on the ideological spectrum you are finding yourself in a real conundrum about what to do on election day. And there's no wonder that we have all of this stuff about, you know, are the election, is the election going to be stolen? Is there a vast right wing conspiracy against Hillary Clinton and any other shade of these types of assertions? So um, yeah, here we are. We're in a dead heat. We actually don't know what is going to happen. I'm not exactly sure what to hope for, depending on all of the various parameters out there. They say without rounding, Trump stands at 41.1%, which is 0.1 percentage point behind Clinton's 41.2%. Johnson at 7.7% unrounded, while Stein is at 3.7%. That's a you know respectable showing for the third-party candidate, Johnson. Uh, but you know, think about this again. If you're in a swing state... You, if you are voting for Johnson, you're in a swing state where, you know, Clinton is slightly ahead. It will be true 
that if you vote for Johnson, you're going to help Clinton get in. That, that may be something that you don't care about and you've thought about the ramifications, but you are actually maybe going to have to think about it in this election because things are actually in this dead heat. The poll, says Investors Business Daily, is done of 815 likely voters. It has a margin of error of plus or minus 3.6 percentage points, a weighted response of 291 Democrats, 235 Republicans, and 271 people who call themselves either independents or other. So think about this. It weighs heavier for Democrats than for Republicans, and you're showing that Trump and Clinton are in a dead heat. They say, unlike many other polls, the IBD-TIPP poll continues to show a tightening race as the candidates and their, strug- excuse me, and their surrogates slug it out in the public in the waning days until the November 8th polling date. In real clear politics, their average of recent polls, Clinton stands at 45% to Trump's 39.4%, which is a 5.6% matchup. If there's a head-to-head matchup between the two, you've got 47.9 to 42%, 5.9% difference. So we will see. Um, Among all the major polls, only Rasmussen, LA Times slash USC, Reuters, Ipsos, and the IBD TIPP polls consistently show it close. Most other polls show a gap of four points or more. Now, why could that be that some of the polls are showing a dead heat and some of the polls are showing this big gap, it might be due to something that I saw in my news feed, thanks to Tammy Bruce this morning. Zero Hedge is focusing on some of the emails from the new Podesta email release from WikiLeaks. And the the headline is that new Podesta email exposes playbook for rigging polls through, quote, oversamples. And this was published on 23rd October They say, earlier this morning, we wrote about the obvious sampling bias in the latest ABC Washington Post poll that showed a 12-point national advantage for Hillary. Like many of the recent polls from Reuters, ABC, and the Washington Post, the latest poll included a nine-point sampling bias toward registered Democrats, nine points. Methodology, it says, the poll was conducted by landline and cellular telephone October 20th to 22nd. English and Spanish among a random sample of 874 likely voters. There's a margin of error, you know, of 3.5 points. It says the partisan divisions are 36, 27, 31 percent, Democrats, Republicans, independents. So 36 to 27 percent Republicans, I mean, excuse me, Democrats to Republicans, 36 to 27 percent. So in order to get poll that shows this wide margin, these news outlets are having to oversample the Democrats by as much as nine percentage points. Again, going back to the IBD poll, right? The IBD poll also does oversample the Democrats, but not by as wide a margin. Okay, I'm getting a little extra sound in my ear, a little bonus playing out in my ear, which I've shut off here. Yeah, so again, in terms of the poll, what do we get from Investors Business Daily? They said that they had um, 815 sampled, right? And 
of those 291 Democrats, 235 Republicans. So that is a margin, but it's not as wide a margin. I think the 271 independents out of the 815 who are sampled could have also accounted for the fact that you are getting the dead heat. I guess what you would want to do is say, you know, okay, out there more broadly, what is the percentage of likely voters? What is the actual percentage of likely voters? How many Democrats you know, are going to be motivated to go to the polls? How many Republicans are going to be motivated? How many independents are going to be motivated to go to the polls? If the percentage of each reflects a poll like Investors Business Daily, then we would assume that things are going to be a lot closer. If the percentage of likely voters reflects, you know, ABC, Washington Post, et cetera, these polls that show the wider margins, we can expect the outcome to be wider margins. What would be also interesting is to look at what's going on in those swing states. How close is it? How many likely voters, et cetera, et cetera. So what's the upshot? We don't really know what the outcome is. Your vote might actually matter, particularly if you're in a swing state. And that it is, again, not surprising because the stakes are high and it looks like it could be close that people are getting very upset about the prospect of um, elections being stolen. So again, thanks to Tammy Bruce for sharing that particular thing about oversampling out there. That is, of course, a concern, and especially if the Clinton campaign has had influence over these news outlets doing oversampling in their polling. So now let's go over to the concerns that have been voiced about a rigged election. A lot of people are worried about this. And in particular, I think people just in general have expressed skepticism about voting machines and the ability of these machines to be hacked, to have the voting rigged, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, if you don't really know a whole lot technically about how the voting machines work and about how they're counted, how the votes are counted, and whether the votes could actually be changed. And, you know, there's been anecdotal evidence out there about how machine malfunctions and someone's trying to vote for one candidate, no matter how many times they push the, can- you know, the button voting for the one candidate, the other one seems to keep being displayed. Is this just a fluke? Is it a malfunction of a particular machine? Or does this represent something more sinister, a, you know, something actually being hacked? The story that I saw out there is from Zero Hedge. And again, I, I take Zero Hedge to not be a, you know, overly conspiratorial source. Um, whether Planet Free Will, which was the original source of this story, is or not, is another question. But this story published today Tyler Durden over at Zero Hedge. Headline, Soros-linked voting machines cause concern over rigged election. And what they say is that um, this Malik Brown, who is from a, you know, a company that, um, yeah, basically a company called Smartmatic, 
that this company supplies the voting machines that's being used in a lot of swing states, according to this story. And Malik Brown was part of the Soros Advisory Committee on Bosnia, also a member of the Executive Committee of the International Crisis Group. And uh, this was a group that he co-founded in the 90s and built with funds from George Soros' personal fortune. Uh, Malik Brown was also appointed vice president of Soros's quantum funds, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Brown has also the tie to Clinton's. He was a partner with Sawyer Miller. That's a consulting firm where a Clinton associate worked, et cetera. I mean, there's all this stuff, the links that are shown there. And then the question is, is this true? Is this true? Um, and what we've got is a Snopes debunking of this very story. Very cleverly, they call it Soros subject, and they say a rumor falsely claimed that 16 states will be using voting equipment owned or controlled by George Soros, who will rig the presidential election for Hillary Clinton. Now, whether it's owned or controlled is a different story. As we saw, everything was a little bit nuanced there. Um, but let's go ahead and look at the evidence. Um, yeah, Smartmatic Company, again, manufacturing voting machines used in 16 states. Maybe Soros could rig the election in Hillary Clinton's favor. And they show all of the stories, you know, all the different places that, um, you know, the all the different states, Arizona, California, Colorado, et cetera, and that we should be concerned about this. Um, what they found, what Snopes found by doing this, they say that Smartmatic has had to actually address this themselves on their website. And they say that no Smartmatic technology is being used in any state during the 2016 presidential election. They say, first of all, Smartmatic is 100% privately owned, no ties to political parties or groups. Headquarters were based in Florida for many years, but have since moved to London. George Soros has never had any ownership stake in Smartmatic. Of course, that doesn't necessarily matter. Um, no secret that the chairman, Lord Mark Malik Brown, is a member of nonprofit boards and all sorts of, you know, the Open Society Foundation, et cetera. But they're saying Smartmatic will not be deploying its technology in any U.S. county for the upcoming 2016 U.S. presidential elections. They say our election technology has handled more than 3.7 billion votes over the past 12 years in election projects on five continents without a single discrepancy. They're only responsible for, they say, and concerned with the technical aspects of the vote. They don't comment on specific candidates or outcomes and their technology has never been compromised. So as far as we know, the assertions that there is going to be any controlling of the outcome of the election via this company called Smartmatic are completely arbitrary, A, because their technology is not going to be used, and B, because you know they are telling you, uh, regardless of what you're reading, and they, yeah, there are these... There's this phenomenon of interlocking, interlocking directorates, you know, that the head of one company will sit on boards for this, that, and the other. And it doesn't necessarily mean, of course, that there's going to be corruption in the technology that's provided through the company. So, you know, as far as we know, we don't have any solid evidence that this election is being rigged. What we would need to do 
is we would need to show, you know, first of all, somebody who actually understands this technology and provides some evidence that a machine actually was rigged beyond just the occasional malfunction anecdote. We would need to get some sort of evidence of this. Now, we could count on perhaps a source like WikiLeaks. If indeed the election outcome ends up being rigged, it might be, you know, somebody like WikiLeaks who would be capable of giving us the technological data. If there really is kind of top-down control of these machines, you know, if the machines can communicate two ways and not just one, if the machines have technology in them that is inherently, uh, you know, corruptible and it's something that can be hacked into, maybe even on the individual machine level, we are going to have to rely on concrete evidence from specific experts that this has happened. So far, as far as I can tell, the mere concern that Soros has links via these interlocking directorates to a particular company that makes election you know, voting machine technology, that in and of itself is not giving you any evidence that there's going to be rigging of this election. We're going to have to see more. Now, mind you, it is very close, this election. And we have seen proof, and I talked about a lot about it in last week's show, that Hillary Clinton has covered up the truth, concealed wrongdoing on her part. So if you were going to suspect somebody of taking advantage of whatever opportunities out there that there were to actually rig an election, then it would be Hillary Clinton. So, uh, you know, maybe afterwards, if the election does not go Trump's way, it might pay to do some sort of investigation just to see that everything was normal. But this is standard. Whenever there's a close election, and there's an outcome, somebody is going to dispute the outcome, call for a recount of votes, et cetera. And as part of a recount of votes, you could also be looking at checking the function of machines, looking into the type of technology that's used. Do the machines communicate one way where they just primarily report results? Or do the machines actually have a communication that comes the other way into the machine that allows for this potential of rigging or hacking would the machine report this. These are all things that we need to know and we need to get a technological expert who could give you concrete evidence of this. Herman the German in the chat room says that Snopes is often very biased and misleading, I've noticed, perhaps not always though, but worth being critical. And, and this is another story that I've brought up in the program notes, Herman, over, again, go to the blog, don'tletitgo.com. Is Snope itself biased? And actually, I'm not sure if I put that particular link there. I was looking at it this morning. Um, if you look at Snopes and you go to About, they have in there a section where they talk about this rumor that Snopes itself has been funded by George Soros. And I've heard this rumor around. What does Snopes say? Snopes says that they are now and have always been independently owned and operated, that the owner is not political, that he prefers all of his non-political hobbies. I can't remember what they were, but it's, you know, it's kind of like gardening and stuff like this, uh, prefers that to being political, that the way that the head of Snopes got going. And again, you know, actually this piece that I was just talking about uh, was written by uh, 
the head of Snopes himself. So let me go ahead and grab the link here. Soros subject. It's David Mickelson, okay? And they're saying that really he is a guy, an objective guy with a love for research. Friends of mine, I'm going to cite some friends of mine here in a second from over on Facebook. And I thank them this morning. Again, I got a little bit of sleep debt and I'm happy to have a little bit of assistance here in fleshing out some of these arguments. Ben Baer, very smart philosophy PhD. Uh, he was pointing out, and you don't need to be a smart philosophy PhD to point this out, but Snopes will often go after the rumors from the other side as well. They will attack rumors on both sides. Of course, you could have people who might be individual contributors who themselves might sound a little bit more biased one way or the other. But as far as we know, we have reason to believe that Snopes has enough traffic traffic to be completely independently funded. I'm looking at some ads right now while I'm on Snopes as we speak. And we haven't seen any evidence. I haven't seen any evidence that Snopes is actually funded, uh, you know, somehow through, you know, a mysterious donor, and then maybe that could be Soros. We would actually need to see evidence that Snopes is funded by Soros in order to think that they're inherently biased and that they're other than what they say they are. If WikiLeaks was to come in and give us some evidence that Snopes is biased, that maybe they're receiving funding from Soros, I'm perfectly happy to include it here on the show. But as far as I could tell, and I did a little bit of research too to look at look at this, I didn't see any solid sources for this rumor that Snopes is funded by George Soros. Um, so I've been kind of dancing around the subject a little bit here, and perhaps it's because I'm in a little brain fog. But the thing that we have to get at here is this issue of the arbitrary in philosophy. And I learned this through objectivism, but you know there are other philosophers throughout history who have discussed this issue of the arbitrary, but let's, let's get, you know, Ayn Rand, of course, I think was the most clear on the topic. And, you know, will I be the most clear today? I don't know. You can look at introduction to objectivist epistemology. That's Rand's book on this uh, subject. And you look up the arbitrary there, but I myself, because I'm not a professional in epistemology, I really like to refer to the treatment that Leonard Peikoff has in his hierarchical presentation of Rand's philosophy. It's called Objectivism, the Philosophy of Ayn Rand. And he wrote that book, you know, for the intelligent layman. And that's what I've gone to and and looked at again and again. I'm going to be paraphrasing here off the top of my head, but I'm just going to try to get at the essential issue of the arbitrary and why we need to care about this. And, you know, also I want to talk about why it's understandable that people are being a bit sucked in by these rumors at this point. You know, again, it's a high stakes election. Uh, It's likely that no matter who wins this election, things are not going to go very well for the next several years. We don't have any candidate that looks like they're going to push us significantly in the right direction. That might be possible if a Johnson won, that we could have some real, real progress made toward a government that protects only individual rights, that doesn't overspend and all those things. But it's not likely that Johnson's going to get in there. The most likely is we're going to get Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, and both of them are extremely mixed. So 
you know, the stakes are high, emotions are running high, and it's very tempting when you look at a story like this to go ahead and grab onto it. But do not, do not. And the issues run broader than this election. So what is the arbitrary? If, you know, what you have in, you know, epistemology is a a big word, a mouthful. I remember when I had to just memorize this word because it didn't have the content. Epistemology is just the branch of philosophy that deals with the nature and means of acquiring human knowledge. And what you can learn in philosophy is in terms of the state of knowledge in your mind, that you can say that something is true, false. You could say possible, that something is possible based on the evidence, that something is probable based on the evidence, or you can say that something is arbitrary. And if something is arbitrary, that means it is neither true nor false, that there has been no concrete evidence presented in favor of it. Now, you could say, okay, Amy, there is some evidence being presented in favor of Soros having control over the election, or at least that there was some evidence being presented in favor of this. And it is true. We've got this issue of the head of a voting machine technology company having links with Soros and having links with Soros Open Society Project, which is a very scary thing that we've talked about in earlier um, shows. Probably just one earlier show did we talk about that. But, you know, Soros is not a good guy, and he's got this Open Society Project. He is trying to do whatever he can with his money to push the culture in his progressive leftist, you know, direction. And... If indeed he was to have control over the voting technology through someone who is the head of a company, that would be really scary. But from what I've seen, those. And so that we are back to the status of there not being any concrete evidence that this election is going to be able to be rigged by Hillary Clinton. We do have Clinton's character and her character is bad as we've talked about just exhaustively on this show, but you would need in addition to that, at least some evidence that it is actually, you know, this corruption has extended to rigging the election itself, rigging the voting machines. And what do we have to do again we need to defer to those people who have the technological knowledge of these machines and how they work and the ways that they could possibly be rigged to you know achieve a certain outcome and we need to you know listen to their explanation about any potential evidence that this did happen and then at that point make up our minds but at this point as far as i can tell we are in the state of the arbitrary. Why? Because while there was some evidence put forth for it, nonetheless, that evidence has been debunked via Snopes. And again, people try to debunk Snopes, but I don't see any evidence, any concrete evidence that Snopes is not what it says it is. And for that reason, at this point, we don't have evidence that the election is rigged. Uh, Do I trust Hillary Clinton? Would I trust Hillary Clinton based on her past performance? No, but we're going to need some extra evidence. If 
the election outcome is not what Trump wants, would it be worth him spending his money to conduct at least some sort of investigation to see whether all of the polling results are regular, you know, maybe recounts in certain places, et cetera? Yes. It, it would probably be worth his money to go ahead and do that, given how much he has put into running for president. But it's very typical in any election, particularly if there's a close outcome for a loser to do that. I'm just assuming Trump's going to be the loser. You know that if Clinton's the loser, she is similarly going to go ahead and try to challenge the result, right? I think that would definitely be true. Now, the thread where I was discussing this uh, with some friends on my Facebook page is still active over here. So um, we're talking about the veracity of WikiLeaks, among other things. And uh, it was Ben Bear my friend, my smart friend, who first turned me to this link from Snopes, you know, the idea that the voting machines are rigged in 16 states, that that actually has been debunked. Uh, So then I asked him, I said, well, what do you think of, you know, WikiLeaks, right? We've got the Podesta emails. Do you think that they're reliable? And he says the WikiLeaks emails raise some good questions and concerns. He says it's hard to know what to make of them, given they're usually out of context and the validity can't be verified. And he says, you know, for example, I'm not sure what to make of the ones talking about oversampling. Now, um, if there is oversampling, it's, it's not so much the, the oversampling exists. Um, it does, right? But, you know, of course, the concern with these emails is not that oversampling exists, but whether these outlets like ABC, Washington Post, et cetera, whether they are doing the oversampling because they themselves just like to do it that way or it just happens that way, or is it because they've been directed by the Clinton campaign to oversample? As I've mentioned in the, some prior week shows, one of the things that we really need to be concerned about is whether we have politicians, whether they're running for election, they're Prior, you know, prior politicians, current, whatever, Hillary Clinton surely falls into the camp of somebody with political power. Do we have people with political power controlling the news media, which is supposed to be reporting things objectively? I would say in this election cycle, we've seen plenty of evidence that there has been some bias in the media, some, you know, we've, we've seen the CNN, for example, the town hall in which the um, person who was you know, sort of conducting the focus group was prompting the members of the focus group. You know, the CNN host was prompting members of the focus group, telling them what to say in reaction to a debate. And that is terrible. That is really rigging an outcome there. And it's, it's giving the, you know, the, the pretense, the look of objectivity because it's a focus group and these people are just sitting there trying to decide what they make of Clinton versus Trump. And yet here's CNN telling them what they should say, what they should think. And, and people are affected by this, right? When you see people who are similarly situated to you, who are part of a focus group, and they explain to you why, for example, when they started watching the debate, they were for Clinton, and then now they watched it and they're for Trump or vice versa, that that could be persuasive to you if you're one of these sort of undecided people. So, it is really bad journalism on any sort of interpretation of the ethics of journalism to feed 
responses to members of a focus group. And we've seen evidence on video that that has happened from CNN during this election cycle. That's scary. I would say the oversampling is scary, although it's nice that at least you can read how the poll was taken and then you can decide. You know, the little details about how the poll was taken that, for example, they've got 36% Democrats and 27% Republicans, right, that one poll that I was telling you about, they're not going to put that in the headline. Oh, by the way, we oversampled Democrats in our poll. They're just going to give you, you know, wide margin for Hillary Clinton. Well, how'd you get that wide margin? Oh, you you sampled 9% more Democrats than Republicans. Hmm. Okay, maybe I should discount the results of this poll. Uh, If you get a poll like IBD, And it says that there is, you know, these two are neck and neck, even though, again, you've oversampled the Democrats compared to the Republicans. That is a poll that maybe you're going to take to heart a lot more. And it seems, yeah, this election might potentially be quite close. There's a margin of error, though, where they say 3.6 percent. Why? It's a very small sample. 817, I believe, was the, you know, the IBD poll. Still less than 900 for the other polls. So it might be, you know, 800 and 900 seems to be, according to statisticians, a good amount that you can get a fairly accurate poll with a certain margin of error and and not spend too much money, right? They can't spend unlimited money doing these either. So it's reasonable for them to have 800 to 900 randomly selected people. But then if those people are sampled, oversampled in one group, the accuracy of the poll should also be affected. Um, Now, what Ben is saying is that in terms of the oversampling, um, it's not clear what Podesta means in these emails, even if he means anything nefarious. And is there evidence that the pollsters were getting the same message or they were carrying it out? There is evidence that there's been oversampling in the polls. And then the question is, is the oversampling done just you know, accidentally, or, you know, just happens to be how that poll turned out? Or is this orchestrated by the outlet purposefully to make the results look as if there's a huge margin of error? Another thing that I've seen thrown out there today, but I haven't been able to check the veracity, there's this rumor that the Democrats are trying to get everybody to vote early. In a, I guess so then if you say there's a poll of early voters and the Democrats have really gotten the vote out, that you're going to be discouraged to go to the polls yourself if you wanted to vote for Trump and, and actually have an influence on the outcome. You're going to be discouraged because the Democrats have done such a good job at getting the early vote out, and then therefore all the polls of the early voters are going to show that Hillary's winning. What I would take from all this, you know, again, I'm just kind of giving you a constellation of evidence here is that it's most likely the race is very neck and neck and that particularly in certain places in the United States, swing states, and you know, I'm going to look at an article here in a second, that places you didn't think were swing states before are now becoming swing states, your vote can matter this year. And so you do have to think kind of up to the last minute about what you're going to do with that vote. Uh, let me continue on this thread here because you know, again, I'm, I'm trying to bring out this issue of the arbitrary of these sorts of assertions that people are making that don't actually have any evidence behind them. You know, sometimes they'll offer a certain amount of evidence, but it's evidence that's easily debunked. So it goes back to having the status of arbitrary. It is neither true nor false. 
and yet there are many people out there entertaining the idea that it is possibly true. And I think that's very damaging, not just during this election cycle, but in general. And I'll talk about that in a second. But let's go through the arguments about this. Um, Ben adds, and I've been talking about that, yeah, it seems likely that Snopes could easily self-fund, that they don't need to get funding from someone like Soros in order to operate. Ben agrees. He says, I think there's plenty of evidence to indicate that Snopes self-funds. They take down plenty of rumors against Trump as well. He says, I think they're a model of objectivity or one of the closest things we have to it these days. So that has been on Snopes. Uh, Then I put to him, you know, the idea in terms of WikiLeaks, you know, talking about WikiLeaks strictly, what do we make of all of these WikiLeaks emails? Can we trust them one way or the other? And I just put in front of Ben this story, um, and I think I stuck it over at the program notes at the blog at don'tletitgo.com. It's an abcnews.go.com story. The DNC officials who were ousted after an email, a WikiLeaks email released, right? Because what did they do? They showed that the DNC played a role in rigging the nomination for Hillary. And then suddenly the DNC officials are out. Doesn't that seem to validate the veracity of the WikiLeaks emails? If the WikiLeaks are showing corruption in the DNC, and sure enough, the DNC kicked out these officials after the release. Why would you kick out the officials if the assertions were not true? So what does Ben say? He says, yes, this is the kind of thing that's made me not willing to dismiss WikiLeaks. He says, I think they probably do give us many real emails. He says, the trouble is that people who are willing to steal real emails would also be willing to fake them. And he says, and in such a case, we can't tell which ones are real. The people who wrote them can, and that's probably why heads have been rolling for some of them. Now, what I would say back to Ben here, and poor Ben, he's not here to answer, and I'm sure he would have a good answer for this, but wouldn't we need evidence that at least one of these emails has been faked, right? Again, following this principle of the arbitrary, the, you know, the assertion by Ben here, I mean, I think it's true, right, that, um, yeah, people who are willing to steal real emails would also be willing to fake them. Maybe, right? I could see, though, a principle among these people that they say, what we do is we leak. We don't fake. We see it as a point of our journalistic integrity. Yes, we're going to steal it if we have to, but we're not going to fake it. Similarly with Edward Snowden. I've talked about this last week. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, you know, is it is it clear that such people who are willing to steal would also be willing to fake? Maybe not if you could look at them as having integrity to their idea of principles, which is, yes, If there is a good cause of things that need to get out to the public, we're willing to hack in order to reveal it. I'm willing, if I'm an Edward Snowden, to violate my oath even and take a risk of being prosecuted or never being able to return to the United States again. I'm willing to do this in order to get vital information out to the public about how the government is corrupt or violating your rights, et cetera, et cetera. There are people who are willing to do this. Is the fact that you're willing to steal mean that you're willing to fake? Not necessarily. But nonetheless, suppose that's true, right? You say, okay, they're willing to steal the emails, therefore they're willing to fake them. Even if so, wouldn't you want to have at least one concrete example of a situation in which WikiLeaks faked an email? 
before you started to say, okay, well, some of these are likely fake or even possibly fake, right? What we have seen is we have seen with respect to the Democrats in this election cycle that there appears to be truth to these emails. Why? Because the DNC has taken action on the basis of it. Now, what else do we have here? I have another friend on Facebook, and I didn't ask his permission before the show because this conversation's been going, so I haven't, I'm not going to give his name because I haven't asked permission, but you know who you are if you're listening to this show. He says to Ben, he says, you say the WikiLeaks releases cannot be verified. Is it not important to note that the Hillary campaign or the Democrats have not repudiated their truthfulness? Have you seen any denial of their truthfulness? All I've seen is the Russians stole them. And I remember that myself, right? I actually watched the third debate while I was out of town. I made a point of, of doing my semi-patriotic duty, or maybe I was just a masochist. I don't know what, but I had to watch the debate. And it was, it was actually kind of fun to watch it. But in any event, um, I noticed, like so many did, that Hillary did not deny the veracity, the truth, you know, that those were actual emails, that those were validly emails from Podesta. What she said only is that the source was Russian hackers, and she asserted that Trump had something to do with inspiring these Russian hackers. That's what was said, right? Um, so what do we have here with respect to the WikiLeaks? We have some evidence of the validity. We have solid evidence of the validity. I assume that the DNC would not oust people unless there was some truth to these allegations that they have been shown, revealed to corrupt the nomination, to rig the nomination in favor of Hillary Clinton, right? We have some evidence that WikiLeaks has given you real emails about real corruption from the Democrats during this election cycle. So as far as we know, you know, they're representing these Podesta emails as Podesta emails. It seems that absent evidence to the contrary, we should rely upon them. Uh, Hillary Clinton has not denied. She has not repudiated the truthfulness, the, or I think truthfulness is not really the word that you would use here. Um, the authenticity is really what we want to say here, their authenticity. She has not reputed the authenticity of these emails. Now, what you might say is you might say, okay, well, Amy, um, if she takes the step of repudiating the authenticity of the emails, isn't she admitting that they're actually worth her concern? Shouldn't she just say, oh, well, this is in the status of the arbitrary and I don't want to spend any time repudiating because it's as if I'm giving credence to them. Actually, what she's doing instead is she is trying to disparage the source of the emails. She's actually engaging in an ad hominem, right? Because she's saying, well, the source of the emails is Russian hackers and Russian hackers who were called upon to do this by Donald Trump in order to tamper the election. As far as I know, those assertions in terms of Trump's role in this at least are arbitrary. There's been some evidence I think that I've seen out there where they talk about it might be Russian hackers that are doing this. But nonetheless, suppose it is Russian hackers. If these are authentic Podesta emails revealing corruption, 
and we know that they've been shown to be authentic in the past with respect to the DNC, I think Hillary Clinton would be wise to repudiate them in order for at least astute listeners uh, to the debate to actually say, okay, you know, uh, they're not giving us any real information. But she has not done that. And she's very, very careful with her language, too, right? In the past, when, uh, you know, she's challenged about deleting all the emails and everything else, her, you know, assertion when she comes back, all she says is that there has been no evidence that her server was hacked, that her personal server was hacked. And again, that's completely beside the point. There is plenty of evidence that she did not follow the protocols with respect to the handling of classified information. And moreover, that she purposefully took action to cover up the way in which she handled classified information. And that those actions that you take that are exculpatory, you know, to cover up your wrongdoing, they themselves help to show intent and therefore show that she should have been prosecuted after all, right? So there is evidence of her wrongdoing there is reason for people to believe content in these WikiLeaks emails. WikiLeaks has shown itself in this election cycle to be a reliable source of information showing the corruption of Democrats, and we have not seen those repudiated. So I think that there's quite a bit to look at. Uh, Daryl, oh, sorry. I, okay, I said his name, uh, Daryl, but I guess that could be edited out at some point. Um, he, he's saying that they're going on to some of the allegations about Bill Clinton raping and all this stuff. You know, the, the art of redirecting and not admitting the truth. Um, now, what does Ben say in response to the challenge that these have not been disavowed? He says, I've seen that they've not been disavowed. He says, but I have seen some of the Democrats repudiate some of them. So... There's one woman who is explicitly disavowing that she had written a particular email in question. And then Ben says, and this is uh, Donna Brazil saying that she did not write a particular email in the question. Uh, she says, I'm, and, and excuse me, Ben is saying, I'm not saying that I believe her. He says, but I don't have much reason to believe the veracity of WikiLeaks either. Well, I would say, you know, again, that you would have some reason to believe the veracity of WikiLeaks because of the DNC itself taking action in reliance on the WikiLeaks. I don't think that there would be so much action taken in reliance if it wasn't reliable. Now, my friend who did agree to be named Adam Mossoff over at CPIP at George Mason, a very smart law professor, he says, why should this allegation of voter election fraud not be treated the same way as we treated the charges of the potential voter fraud by moveon.org and other leftist organizations between 2000 and 2008, given that the corporate officers at Diebold, the manufacturer of the voting machines, were donors to President Bush and other Republican campaigns. He says, in both instances, it seems to be an arbitrary conspiracy theory. And what he means by arbitrary, again, is that there's no real evidence in favor of it, right? The fact that a company donated to Republicans when Republicans were in power doesn't necessarily mean that they themselves are willing to rig elections in favor of that side. Though, you know, again, what are they doing? They're doing it out of self-preservation a lot of times. If you donate to political campaigns, you're doing it out of self-preservation. I have heard a story from 
a CEO of a very successful company where I think it was a, a governor or a senator. I think it was a senator, I don't know, elected in his state. And when this person was elected, he calls up the CEO and basically implies, you know, if you don't donate to me, even though I'm not a member of the party that you favor, if you don't donate to me, then I am not going to give you access. I won't listen to the things that you have to say. And the things that you have to say might be you pleading for the interest of your company in the public arena, right? Because the politicians these days, they have powers to really make business hard to conduct for people in certain industries, almost any industry these days. So a lot of companies will donate to whoever is in power in order to get enough access to at least defend themselves and, you know, hopefully avert political disasters that can affect the bottom line of their companies. I do not see a political donation in and of itself as, you know, meaning that the person is corrupt. Okay, so what have we got at the end here? Doesn't this seem to be, with respect to, you know, this election, an arbitrary assertion? Yes. Where I tend to disagree with Ben Baer is what credence we would give to WikiLeaks. And I would say there is quite a lot of evidence that we should give some credence to WikiLeaks. And what I want to see is I would want to see more than just one person saying I didn't write that email. Um, could we, for example, ask this woman to show us, you know, technological evidence on her computer that she didn't write that email that there wasn't deletions, you know, could somebody with technological expertise inspect her computer and prove that she didn't write the email? We need concrete proof and we definitely need more than an assertion from an organization that has discharged people. The DNC has discharged people in reaction to WikiLeaks. So this is how I'm parsing out what is or isn't arbitrary in this election. Why does it matter in general about the arbitrary? You know, that you really are strict in your mind about keeping the arbitrary in its proper place, which is to say it is neither true nor false. Why is this? Because your mental space is limited. You know, you've talked about, have you heard of people like, you know, buying access to your head, right? Buying access to your head. Um, that someone is, you know, buying free space in your head and that it's a bad thing for you to give free space to people in your mind. And it indeed is to do this, right? Because you have limited ability to focus and think about things throughout a given day. So if, you know, if there's something out there that is not worth your time, then you should not be entertaining it. You should not be thinking about it. You should not bring it into your list of considerations when you're making a decision about something, right? And so these assertions that there's going to be rigging of the election, I mean, first of all, if there is going to be rigging of the election, what is what are you going to do? Are you going to go in? I mean, think about this. You're going to go in and vote for Trump? If there's a rigging of the election by Hillary Clinton against Trump, if you do and it's rigged, it's not going to do any good anyway, right? So, I mean, there is that sort of thing to even think about. You know, what are you going to do on the basis of this? What you would do on the basis of assertions that there is voter fraud is that you would make this part of a challenge of the election results afterwards. 
But at this point in time, in terms of you deciding what you're going to do coming into the election, you know, as I've said, I've seen no evidence, no concrete evidence in the totality that there is going to be a stolen election. We'll need to see what actually happens and what concrete evidence is presented after the voting is done. Once we've seen that and we, you know, we look at you know, what rigging was there, what irregularities were there, how did it affect the outcome, uh, how did it, you know, did it make a difference? Maybe it was in a county where it didn't make a difference, whatever it is, right? We'll have to evaluate that at the time and then what is the proper response to that? There are procedures that tell you what you're going to do. Right now, this is, you know, renting free rent in your head, you know, paying no rent to get space in your head. And there's no practical thing that you could really do about it. Do I see the Clinton machine and Hillary Clinton as enemies? I, of course, see that. But, you know, again, remember Rand's statement, never think of pain or danger or enemies a moment longer than is necessary to fight them. And what I would say here is because I've revealed these assertions to have the status of the arbitrary, that there's no evidence in their favor, you shouldn't be thinking about them. You should dismiss them until there is concrete evidence presented. Um, What we will have to do, right, is we'll have to be vigilant to look for concrete evidence of corruption. We have seen that the news media, the mainstream media, is not providing adequate coverage of, for instance, the WikiLeaks emails and things like that. I think that the WikiLeaks emails, given what we have seen about them, that they are worth the attention. You know, ABC, I I told you, the story from ABC was reporting that people have been let go from the DNC as a result of the emails. That should be evidence to the DNC that they should continue to look at these emails and continue to report on these emails because they have reason to believe that there is some truth. Um, Ken in the chat room says, sounds like this whole program is going to end on the arbitrary. People want to know, I guess they want to know what, what other stories are we going to get into? Well, what we will get into is some of the reasons that I think people are tempted to latch on to the arbitrary, which is some of the bad state of the world today. Um, oh yeah, Ken was saying, what was the source of Ben's quotes? This is a, you know an actual thread on my personal page on Facebook. So yeah, Ken, I'm going to have to get you in there so you can check it out. Um, now... Rob says, do you mean the media? I think he's answering Ken. So there's a little discussion going on. Is this election going to end on the arbitrary? And, oh, my sound dropped for a couple seconds. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I've I've been saying Ken. I know you're Ken. Um, So what what is this going to end on the arbitrary? You mean the media? Yeah, how the media is out there sometimes giving us the arbitrary. Anyway, what we do need to focus on are issues of media bias. We need to be vigilant in looking for reporting of the truth out there. But other than that, right now, what have we seen? We have seen nothing but a close election, and I think people getting a bit emotional about it. I think that's what we've seen. Uh, now, there is a an article, a very helpful article, thanks to William Bush for sending this to me, giving highlights of some of the most recent Podesta emails. This was published over at Yahoo News, 
Michael Isakoff is the chief investigative correspondent over there, and this was published on the 21st of October. And it gives you a summary of some of the pay-to-play, some of the pay-to-play that was going on between the Clinton Foundation and um, also the uh, you know the, the State Department, the Clinton State Department. So this idea, you know, that they're talking about where are you going to give access to people, and that it's going to be based on donors to the Clinton Foundation. There are a number of examples in this link that show you that. Uh, for example, the one that the 12 million that they were going to. Let me scroll down to this. Uh, actually, there's another one. Five minutes in order to present a one million dollar check. From Qatar. It says Qatar would like to see WJC for five minutes in New York City to present a $1 million check that Qatar promised for WJC, William Jefferson Clinton's birthday in 2011. That is scary. Uh, you've heard, and we, I think we talked about it last week, the $12 million from Moroccans. Huma Abedin email saying that Hillary created this mess and she knows it. Right? that basically she's creating this reputation that you give millions of dollars and that therefore you get some access. Something else that is being shown in some of these emails, again, assuming that they're true, and I think it would behoove uh, Hillary Clinton to go out there and try to deny them. They're saying, go ahead and take the money from some of these registered lobbyists, et cetera, and that it's okay to go ahead and just, you know, take the money, even if it's questionable whether there's a violation of election regulations. Just, you know, go ahead and take the money. Now, that's the Clinton's communication director who was saying, yeah, don't worry about it. Just take it. So take a look at that. We've got, again, some concrete allegations of corruption. It's a little bit here. It's a little bit there. But it adds up to violating election rules pay-to-play, and there's also now been evidence that, and we talked about this last week, the FBI investigation, the call not to indict was a top-down call. It didn't reflect the sense of the career prosecutors. And the other thing that we've uh, seen as well is concrete evidence of efforts taken to cover up, to evade compliance with the subpoenas that they were faced with. So it's going to be interesting to see in the last couple of weeks, is there going to be more evidence of this that's actually brought out there? Is Congress going to help bring more evidence of this out? Is the media going to actually cover it? Is it going to have an effect? I see that some people are still commenting on my thread over on Facebook. And maybe what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to make that post uh, public at a, at a certain point, and I'll ask whether anybody minds me changing the status to public so that more people can check it out. But I do thank my friends who engaged in the little discussion over there of these allegations of, of fraud this morning. It, it does help. Uh, one person who went over and has commented, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, is Greg Salmeri. And Greg Salmeri has done a lot of work on making sure that you are objective in your even passing along links to information on Facebook um, or any other social media source that if you just post a link without any comments at all, that sometimes you could be giving the implication that you agree with certain things, that you endorse certain things that you really don't. 
Uh, maybe you haven't thought about it at all and that you do have to be responsible in these things. I'm sure I've violated the rules, according to Greg, a number of times, but I refer to you, you know, refer him to you as a source for give, you know, getting techniques for critically thinking about what you do out there on social media, what people like me do on a podcast like this, et cetera. I try as best I can to be objective out there and try, try to look at stuff and also look at sometimes the reasons that people might be tempted to not always be a hundred percent objective with something, but you have to, right? There is no choice about this. If you want to get at the truth, you're going to have to adhere to the method of objectivity. Ken in the chat room says, yeah, Gren and uh, excuse me, Gren, Gren, um, Greg and Ben. No, they are not a couple. I didn't just make a, um, what do you call those portmanteaus or whatever? I didn't make that. <laughs> Greg has a beautiful, I believe, yes, a beautiful wife. Um, they're not just boyfriend, girlfriend, they're married. And Ben has a beautiful girlfriend. They are not a couple. There's Greg and they're Ben. And they are both great. And what Ken says is their Check Your Premises blog is fantastic. Uh, so do go out and check out the Check Your Premises blog as well. Uh, let me look at what other things I want to talk about here because we are past the top of the hour. And I think as Ken was joking that we're going to end the entire show on the arbitrary. It is something that I wanted to kind of you know, hit, hit close to home. Let me give, let me give a, a practical example of the arbitrary that doesn't have to do with politics. You know, again, I talked about this issue of just renting space in your head. And I think anybody who thinks about that issue abstractly, the importance of not giving time, space, attention to something that is arbitrary, that it's crucial for anybody who values their life and their time. But give you another concrete example. Suppose, for instance, that you know you are told that statistically speaking, there is X percentage of chance that you could get cancer. And it could be based on who knows what, that you know that you've been a smoker, that you have certain genes, um, you know, that you ate certain foods, whatever it is, right? Should you actually worry that you possibly have cancer right now simply because statistics say statistically you have a 25% chance of cancer? Should you say, okay, there's a 25% chance I have cancer. I should spend an appropriate amount of time like worrying about whether I have cancer. And what the theory of the arbitrary says, you know, if you understand the arbitrary, it says no even though statistically speaking, you could, should be worried about it. You shouldn't worry about it absent some sort of concrete evidence that you actually have cancer, right? Uh, now, based on statistics, some people say, okay, it is worth doing certain types of annual health screenings for certain types of cancers. And that is based entirely on statistics, not on any symptoms that you have, not in particular evidence in your case. These are just screenings that prudent people have decided to do based on the percentage risk. Apart from that, right, you, know, you say, okay, there's a certain percentage risk. I'm going to do certain annual screenings on the basis of that. You should never worry about it unless there is some concrete evidence. You come back from one of these screenings with an abnormal result. You have some other symptoms that might indicate that you're unwell or that you might get cancer or that you have cancer, don't go around just on the basis of statistics saying that it is possible that you have cancer. Uh, even statistical evidence 
is not evidence that you yourself as an individual have cancer. So similarly, even though we have plenty of evidence that Clinton has lied as political expediency, that she's been corrupted, that she has bad judgment. That's another thing that comes out in the Podesta emails, by the way. They all know that she has lapses of judgment. Uh, Even Donald Trump knows that, right? Um, It doesn't mean that in this particular case that Hillary Clinton is going to be able to rig the election. Is it going to be worthwhile reviewing the election results afterwards, just like it's done in so many elections, just like, you know, people get mammograms or other cancer screenings? Sure, do it. But until you've seen that piece of concrete evidence that an election, a particular election is rigged and that it had an effect on the outcome, you just don't fret about this stuff. I hope I haven't belabored the arbitrary too much. I probably have. And so I apologize, but it it is an important issue, and it's one that is probably going to rear its head a few times. Not that I'm going to talk about it anymore. I I won't. But, you know, I might just say, okay, remember, we did that whole show talking about the arbitrary and then refer you back here. Um, It'll probably come up in the next couple weeks again. There's going to be more arbitrary assertions. We'll have to point back and, and look at this. So what else do we need to look at? Let me actually, let me go over to the chat room and over to... Yeah, the switchboard, I don't have anybody calling in. If you did want to call in and make a comment on any of this, 760-888-5817 is the number to do it. That's 760-888-5817. And make sure if you do want to talk to press 1. Ken in the chat room says, actually Ken, okay, there's Kay McGinnis and then there's Ken Doolittle, right? Okay, both. Um, there's Kay McGinnis and there's Ken Doolittle. And what I'm guilty of during this show is getting the two confused. I am sorry to you there in the chat room. Yes, McGinnis is a Roger. <laughs> I'm sorry. You guys, I told you I was a little bit tired. So I don't think in the content of the show that is shown that my, my tiredness, maybe I've belabored the arbitrary a little bit because I'm tired, but I... <laughs> They're saying, yay, you finally figured it out. Yes, I knew that one of you was a Ken, but I had confused which one was a Ken. And it's Ken Doolittle is the Ken. I've got it, finally. Um, If any of you do want to talk and you do call in, hit one, and then I'll know. It'll give me a little icon that tells me that you want to talk. Uh, Roger in the chat room is the one who says that being objective is a lot of work. And it is. It definitely is. It becomes less work if you make a habit of it, of course, like anything else, if you are habitually displaying, you know, certain virtues of either epistemology or character, then it's a lot easier to to stay vigilant on those things, right? Um, You've automatized it. I actually was learning that recently. Um, Basically, I went went to a place where they drive on the wrong side of the road and when you, even if you're just going to cross the street, because I didn't drive, there's no way I was going to drive. That'd be too ambitious. But even if you cross the street, you are tempted to, well, not tempted. I was doing it. I was looking the wrong way, right? You've automatized in your subconscious looking certain ways for the traffic to be coming at you if you're going to be crossing the street so that you can cross the street safely. I nearly got hit because I've automatized looking in the different directions living in the United States. So that's interesting. Um, The other thing I did was there was a car that was coming at me and and my friend. And I looked 
in what to me would be the driver's seat, right? I looked at it as like, and for just a half second, had the thought, oh my God, there's nobody driving that car, right? So this is the sort of thing that automation does for us, right? I am conserving resources, for example, by looking at where the driver's seat would be for, you know, someone who's driving a car that's coming at me, or I'm conserving resources and being efficient by looking certain directions in a certain order before I cross a street in order to make sure I don't get hit. And it's really funny to watch what happens when you go to a place where the rules don't apply. Uh, similarly, yeah, if you have certain rules about how you conduct your life, it makes things a lot easier. You don't have to spend mental brain power. You won't get, quote, decision fatigue or focus fatigue from those things. And I think a lot of us have automatized bad habits of sharing on social media without taking the proper steps to be objective. And, it, you know, if you've automatized kind of those bad habits and you haven't looked at the source, then you do have to go out there and kind of do a little bit of work to remain vigilant on that. Let's see over here at the chat room, what people are saying now. Um, New information about the Donald and the Hillary is also related. So someone who just dropped in, Oh, psychic Brenda Bradshaw is telling me this though. Now, Brenda, welcome. I've never seen you in the chat room before. Uh, because you call yourself a psychic and because I don't actually believe in people being able to be psychic, I, I believe people can be very good at observing things about those with whom they are coming in contact and making accurate inferences on the basis of psychology and body language and all that kind of stuff. But I actually don't believe in, in psychic powers. So if you're putting information here in the chat room, I'm going to tend to be skeptical. I'm just warning you. You might make some good um, I've spoken about the bloodline of the elected presidents. Okay, this is all sounding like tinfoil hat. Uh, she says, okay, I'm a prophet. Yeah, none of this do I believe in, right? I, I believe in Rand's ability to do something that sound sounded like, you know, sounded like she was a prophet. But why? Because she realizes how philosophy actually moves history. So th there's demonstrated theories of this. So no, I don't believe in prophets in terms of having any supernatural powers. I don't believe in psychics. So I will tend to take it with a grain of salt. If you've got links to solid evidence, I'm perfectly willing to look at this, but otherwise I'm going to put what you've got here in the chat room, Brenda, sorry to say, in the category of the arbitrary, which I have already belabored too much today. Um, Rob in the chat room is giving us live evidence of, or, you know, up to the minute, contemporaneous evidence, or not evidence, but news, breaking news about Euron Brook. He says there's um, protesters at his talk in the United Kingdom. That's really cool if Euron is out there giving talks and people know that it's important enough that they should show up and protest. I think that's fabulous news for the influence of objectivism around the world. So thanks for sharing that, Rob. I look forward to checking out those. Go to Euron Brook's page on Facebook, and he's probably tagged, and you can check it all out there. Okay, so what is one of the things that we should look at? I do have a couple links having to do with what's going on in Mosul. Is that how you pronounce it, Mosul? Um, the latest news, thanks, Rob, for sending the link, is that Turkey is trying to join the battle for Mosul in Iraq. Uh, again, for those who haven't really been following the story, Mosul has been a stronghold of ISIS 
that a U.S.-led coalition in Iraq is trying to retake. It's been going on for over a week now, as I understand, that they anticipate this is going to go on for several weeks. There's already been speculation that it's going to succeed and it's going to drive ISIS out into the deserts or the hills or wherever, you know, backwater places they're going to go. And then the question is, what can they do about making sure they don't come back again stronger than before? I've seen that speculation already, but as I understand it, the battle is still very much underway and it's not guaranteed that they're going to retake. And there's a lot of complications and, you know, civilians who are being displaced and all sorts of stuff that's going on with that. Uh, Turkey is pushing to join this battle, but Turkey and Iraq have this long-standing rivalry. Part of it to do with Sunni versus Shia stuff within Islam, but I think part of it is just political as well. And here you've got Turkey, a NATO ally, that there is good reason to keep out of this huge coalition that they are using in Iraq and try to see people try to navigate this stuff. But, uh, you know, as it is, you know, Obama, what he... um, admires Erdogan, but then he's got to keep him out of this because otherwise there's going to be problems. Iraq is, I think, with good reason, worried that if Turkey doesn't give assurances that they're going to pull out after Mosul is retaken, then there's going to be, you know, a presence of of Turkey in in Mosul. There's uh, been evidence of Turkey keeping military presence in places in Iraq that they're not allowed to be. So we've seen some evidence of this in the past. It's not just an arbitrary assertion by Iraq. They have a reason to worry that Turkey, once Mosul is retaken, is not going to leave, that they think they're going to occupy in a certain way. So there's some concern there. Uh, You might think, okay, well, you know, the, the whole Mosul invasion is an attempt to rig the election in a certain way. Why? Because it's supposed to make the Obama administration and Clinton, you know, you could see like, I I can just imagine this, right? Uh, They're going to successfully retake and Obama is going to give his little victory speech and he's going to credit Hillary Clinton for in effect teeing up the situation. You know, she was so good as secretary of state and helped to make this possible, this victory possible, this glorious victory. We've shown ISIS who's boss, which won't be really true, right? Because they're just going to be out in the outskirts ready to come back again stronger than ever. But he'll go out there and credit Hillary Clinton and try to help her win the election at the very last minute. Is that a rigging of the election? No, this is a predictable show, dog and pony show, put on by Obama to try to support Hillary Clinton. He wants to continue his influence into the next administration. He wants to lead the cushy lifestyle, the cushy ex-president lifestyle, being able to, you know, advise, be the elder statesman, be respected. And he knows he can do that under Clinton. So that's going on. Is it a rigging? No. Uh, Has the election been rigged in a certain sense? You could say, yes, there's been a rigging of the election that's been going on for quite some time, which is the progressive education system, right? The progressive education system, which is all government schooling in the United States, has over the decades destroyed the minds of people and made them willing to vote for these candidates who continue to make them think of themselves as part of a collective, right? How does Hillary Clinton appeal to voters? By saying we're stronger together. Stronger together. You know, this idea that 
arbitrarily in effect, right? So making an arbitrary assertion that in all situations, you are stronger together when you bind yourself together with other people than with not. There are many situations in which you are not stronger together. I'll just give you one example. One example is that there was this book, I believe Susan Cain was the author, it was a book called Quiet. And she did a, um, or she, was, she might have just been reporting these studies, but this, you know, open plan environment that a lot of companies have where everybody is in, um, oh God, sorry, I hit my microphone. I'm doing these crazy hand gestures again. Uh, everybody's in cubicles, open space. You can see all of your fellow coworkers and stuff. You can hear all of your fellow coworkers. You don't have space to yourself. Uh, that doesn't prove to be a very effective environment. That brainstorming with other people is not always effective depending on what stage of the creative process you are in, uh, that brainstorming can actually be counterproductive. You are not always stronger together. And yet here's Hillary Clinton's slogan. Certainly we are not stronger together in the sense of collectivizing our health care under Obamacare. And that's going to be probably the last story I'm going to end up getting to today. But what is the point? Is the election rigged? Yes. Progressive education has been teaching us to think of ourselves as part of a collective, to defer to authorities, to not think for ourselves for decades. It has not taught proper rational thinking processes, and therefore it's made all of us susceptible one way or the other to all of the appeals. And this is true of both the left and the right, right? Um, I didn't actually get to it, but there is... A lot of scary stuff going on on the Donald Trump side as well. Um, you know, people talk about, and the link that I have is a, I believe it's National Review article, the price I've paid for opposing Donald Trump. If you oppose Donald Trump on whatever grounds, you can be exposed to the worst vitriol and abuse, and maybe even your family, as in this example, would be objected, uh, excuse me, subjected to that same sort of abuse. Uh, it culturally out there, it can be quite scary during this election cycle. And a lot of this I attribute to the government schools, the progressive education. And this is why I see, for instance, Gary Johnson's promise to eliminate the federal department of education as important. If Trump is doing that and he actually would keep his promise, that would be a very important first step to saving the country is getting rid of that progressive education that has come through the government education system, the government schools. Okay, so yeah, that's a sense in which the election is rigged, that we have the progressive education system guiding the thinking, the, even the content, you know, of course, the content we've talked about before, but also the method of thinking of our students and that that has made them ripe to elect someone like Hillary Clinton. See her as your friend. You know, she wants you to see her as your president, even if you've opposed her all the way up until the election time, then you're supposed to see her. And, you know, she did in this, the Fox News debate, the last debate, she made herself appear so moderate, so reasonable, so palatable. It's tempting, right? She's, a, she's very good at that. She may have bad judgment, but she's very good at the debate techniques, at the deflection, at looking like everything just rolls off of her back. I also watched a couple speeches, and I can't remember the event. There was a charitable event right after that debate. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton gave speeches there, and she made herself seem the more reasonable, even if the less funny, right? 
the more reasonable of the two candidates. Trump had it going for a while and then about two-thirds of the way through lost it and kind of went too far with his humor. Hillary Clinton stayed reasonable, you know, very calm, cool, collected throughout the entire thing. Not as funny, but she's a pro. She's definitely a pro. So what is the Obamacare thing that you should worry about? I'm going to go ahead and get to that. Let me see if I missed anything that I should get to over either at the switchboard. Nope. I've done the monologue this whole time. Oh, they're talking about, oh, wow, the talk was stopped short. Euron's talk in London was stopped short. That's a little bit scary. Um, And there's a link to Euron's post over in the Blog Talk Radio chat room right now. I will go ahead and try to share that myself on the Don't Let It Go Unheard page later after this show is over so you guys can find it if it's not public. But yeah, you can you know follow your own on Facebook there as well. So let's, let's look at the news about Obamacare. I've got two articles, one that was shared by Senator Ted Cruz, whom I follow and consistently like the posts of on Facebook. No matter who wins this election, I am still counting on Ted Cruz to continue doing the work that he does in the Senate to bring out the truth. And this will be both about Donald Trump if he's in there and, and Cruz has said as much, right? And Cruz is, I guess, semi, it, it was an endorsement, late endorsement of Donald Trump. He, you know, intimates that people like him, people like, like Mike Lee, et cetera, to the extent that they're staying in the Senate, that they will be vigilant against any president who tries to violate our rights. So I'm counting on that. He shared an article about Obamacare And so did William Bush. Thank you for sharing it over on the Don't Let It Go Unheard page. The first one from Town Hall, it says, The cascade of 2017 Obamacare premium hikes has arrived. They're saying that, you know, Obamacare is off to a rocky start in 2016, etc. And they say, this year open enrollment is going to begin on November 1st, just one week before the election. So all of the months, weeks, and days leading up to the election, the Democratic presidential nominee and all of the party's congressional candidates, they're going to have to contend with the news of the skyrocketing rates for Obamacare. And this is what it's going to be. USA Today is out with new reporting confirming that the rate spikes are being approved by regulators across the country, some even greenlighting increases above and beyond what the insurers requested. Um, so imagine that they, the regulators are approving these. Um, they're doing what's necessary to keep the companies afloat, the problem, right? So many of them, and we've reported on this consistently throughout, one of the goals of Obamacare is to make all these private insurers go out of business, or at least they know that what they're doing is going to put them out of business, and they don't mind. Why? They want a full collapse. They want complete and total socialized medicine. So what we've got from US today is USA today is a chart. And the chart talks about the rate increases all in different areas. It's all color coded, so they have this light blue color 0 to 9%. We've got a kind of more blue color 10 to 19%. It looks like California, Nevada, Washington, the state of Washington fall into the 10 to 19% category. Then we have 20 to 29% 
in some states, it looks like Utah falls into that, Nebraska, Kansas. We have 30 to 39%, an even darker blue. And there's some other states that fall into that category. Texas is one of them, et cetera. Um, some of them are in 40 to 49% rate increases for Obamacare plans, Montana, Illinois, West Virginia, and then greater than 50%, greater than 50% premium increases, Arizona, Oklahoma, Minnesota, Tennessee. Can you imagine? I still don't even know whether A, the plan that I have right now is going to be offered next year, I haven't heard, and B, what it would cost for me to keep exactly the same plan, or even if I could keep exactly the same plan that I have right now. Chances are they're going to tweak the plans. They're going to have higher deductibles, fewer things that are covered, less selection of doctors, and they're going to charge me more. And the question is, how much more and what kind of tweaks am I going to be looking at? And that's if I get to keep the type of plan that I have anyway. And I don't even have an Obamacare plan. I have like an individual kind of purchase plan. Scary, scary stuff all on the road toward socialized medicine. Again, the other article, Obamacare's meltdown has arrived. This is an opinion piece from the Wall Street Journal. And they're saying Tennessee is ground zero for Obamacare's nationwide implosion late last month, the state insurance commissioner, Commissioner Julie Mix McPeak, Julie Mix McPeak, say that 12 times fast, approved premium increases of up to 62%. Why? In a bid to save the exchange that was set up under the Affordable Care Act. Quote, I would characterize the exchange market in Tennessee as very near collapse, end quote, she said. Then last week, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee announced it would leave three of the state's largest exchange markets, Nashville, Memphis, and Knoxville. Quote, we've experienced losses approaching $500 million over the course of three years on ACA plans, end quote. $500 million over the course of three years. So they're just pulling out. They are shrugging, in effect, right? Unsustainable, and they're pulling out. This is just a sampling. Again, go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com. You can read the rest of this Wall Street Journal piece, the rest of the USA Today piece that Ted Cruz linked to. You can also comment on this show, and you can subscribe to the blog, which will keep you abreast of news for the show. Otherwise, I've run out of time, everybody. Oh, let me tell you one last thing. Check out at don'tletitgo.com that uh, Trump is not saying bigly, he is saying big league. So if you vote for Donald Trump, it's not that you're voting for bigly to be added to the English language. Okay. Have a good week, you guys. And I'll talk to you later this week and take care.